All right. Uh, just to start off, maybe tell our, our listeners just a little bit about yourself, because it's a strange it's a strange issue that you're involved in. So what's a bit of a bit of your background just so people have context for who you are? Well, my background is as a financial advisor, mainly. I was an investment advisor for a long time, and I'm an insurance broker now, uh, just running my own little business. But I just became aware of all this stuff that's going on, and I'm a dad of two girls, 9 and 11 years old. And uh, I became aware of all these gender issues affecting primarily girls. And so I became a bit horrified by the medical harm that was being done to kids, and I just got tired of it, so I decided to take a stand. Now, what, what sort of information did you find that took you from, I don't agree with this, to I really need to act out, I need to do something, I need to begin activism? Well, we have thousands of kids all across the Western world, thousands in Canada. Virtually every school in the country has kids wanting to transition to the other gender, primarily girls. And what we're doing is we're experimenting on them with a drug that's being used off-label. It's a drug called Lupron in North America. It's called other names in other countries, but it does the same thing. And uh, it totally stops the body from releasing the sex hormones that trigger puberty. So none of the developmental processes that should occur in these adolescents will occur. So, you know, you can imagine what it all is, but bones don't gain any density, girls' breasts won't grow, boys' genitals won't grow, girls' pelvises won't expand, it affects their height, it affects their IQ. Some studies show there's other organ problems. A lot of these girls after five years on testosterone therapy have to get their uterus removed because there's been so much atrophy down there they can have abdominal pain and it doesn't do anything to improve children's dysphoria in fact it makes it worse so there's just a whole lot of lies floating around by gender extremists or activists whatever you want to call them where they present this drug these puberty blocking drugs as just a pause button or something that's fully reversible but all the studies show Every time kids start on puberty blockers, they always go on to the next step because this isn't just one step. It's a medical pathway. And the next step is the opposite sex hormones. So for girls, it's testosterone. For boys, it's estrogen. And it's causing a lot of damage. And a lot of these kids, when they grow up, they're getting into their 20s and they're realizing that they're just gay. Or a lot of these kids have autism. A lot of these kids have some trauma. We have in British Columbia, a psychologist named Wallace Wong, who is transitioning over 500 orphans and foster children. 500. So there's just a whole lot of big problems going on. We're not allowed to talk about these issues. None of the mainstream media will report on it. And so I just thought, well, um, if no one will report on any of these issues, and I put up a billboard last September that said I heart J.K. Rowling, mm-hmm. that got that got taken down the next day. I was in Vancouver, correct? I was in Vancouver, yep. And it got taken down the very next day because a Vancouver city councilor called it hate speech. <laughs> yeah, let's delve let's delve into that uh, just a little bit because you mentioned here that we're not allowed to yeah. talk these things which is which is obviously true in more ways than one we have uh, a, a father from british columbia who's been formally gagged by the court when he wants to talk about 
his daughter, who's been undergoing going transition. I'm sure you know about that case, um, which is just is just extraordinarily egregious. Um, mm -hmm. We have the media basically ignoring most studies. The only country that seems to be breaking the mold is the United Kingdom. Uh, but the things that are happening in the United Kingdom aren't being discussed elsewhere. So last week, for example, the BBC published a, a bombshell report from the National Health Service or commissioned by the National Health Service in the UK, uh, both examining the dangers of puberty blockers, but also indicating that puberty blockers aren't actually that effective at accomplishing what transgender activists want them to accomplish to begin with. So not only are they dangerous, as you've just laid out, but in addition to that, they're not even effective from the perspective of a trans activist. This story, the BBC is their public broadcaster, has not been picked up by virtually any Canadian or American media. And it seems like, uh, you know, the UK is the only place where you're seeing a robust uh, press interest in both sides of the debate. Why is it that in Canada we're seeing virtually no examination of this issue in any detail prompting you to you know start putting slogans on billboards and and doing public activism starts with our government the federal liberals are completely taken by this ideology they're trying to force through a bill which again is filled with lies there's this bill called bill c6 which on the surface looks like a really good thing so there's two components to this bill. It's gonna ban conversion therapy based on someone's sexual orientation, which pretty much no one has a problem with because we should never try to do that. And then it's gonna ban conversion therapy of someone's gender identity. So they can't even define what that is. And in the preamble of this bill, it literally says that it's a myth that gender identity ever changes. But gender identity changes all the time and all this trans activists will tell you exactly that. They'll tell you that it's fluid. You can be a boy and a girl at the same time. Um, and we have all these kids now that are growing up who are detransitioning, primarily young women who have already had double mastectomies done. Maybe they're sterilized because we're sterilizing children with these drugs. They've grown beards. And then they realize that they were never challenged on any of their positions. They were told that their anxiety or whatever they were feeling would go away if they just transitioned to the other gender. And they're realizing it was all a lie. And they relied about the drugs. And why are we going so backwards here in Canada? Our government, I mean, the government's fully in on it. The NDP and BC here are fully in on this. I met with 10 BC NDP members back in October during our provincial election campaign. And I laid out to them in their campaign headquarters over in Victoria, I laid out all these different issues that are happening. And when I finally got to the issue of how we're sending even male sex offenders into women's prisons, just the second that they identify as a woman, they finally kicked me out and said that I wasn't making it a safe space for them. <laughs> so the very next morning, what did they do with all of this true information that I told them? They decided to double down and they had hung the transgender flag underneath the Minister of Education's campaign poster. So they know the truth and they just don't care because they're too afraid of the transgender lobby and all the violent people that'll come at them. So when you were considering how to act out on this issue and you decided to put up a billboard that said, I heart JK Rowling, what was the inspiration for that particular way of, of speaking out? Well, a woman in Scotland named Posey Parker had put up 
an iHeart JK Rowling poster at the Edinburgh train station and it got taken down the next day despite having zero formal complaints. So I just got tired of it and I said, well, let's do something here because they're trying to destroy freedom of speech. And this isn't a minor issue. This is something affecting thousands of kids and it's medical harm. In my opinion, it's the biggest child abuse medical scandal probably in our history. And we're not allowed to talk about it. So this is insane because it's kids. So when her sign got taken down, I decided to do one here. It got covered up the next day. And so I reached out on Twitter and I said, because there was so much outrage, I said, if you want to do this in your city, I'll help. I just need help with funding, but I'll do all the work and I'll take all the heat. And so right away, a woman from Silicon Valley reached out and we ended up doing a billboard in San Francisco. I raised some money from Canadians to help with that as well. And then another businessman reached out and we ended up doing billboards all across Utah and Los Angeles, Portland, uh, all throughout Washington, D.C., Metro, and at Times Square. And so that was a good campaign, but I wasn't satisfied because, you know, still hardly any people know about what's going on. So I just got my own signs made that I wear because they might be able to take down a billboard, but they can't take it off my back. And so I just go stand in, on busy street corners and I have conversations with people and maybe 50,000 cars drive by in a day and see it. So it's just starting a lot of conversations because if people don't know what's happening, how are we ever going to change it? So walk us through the timeline of, of the of the billboard in Vancouver, because I remember seeing in the news that this billboard had gone up that said, I heart J.K. Rowling. And because I followed the issue, I knew what the sign meant. But presumably there's plenty of people who would see the sign and not be aware of, of the connection uh, between the trans issue and, and what seems like a pretty anodyne slogan. And then I, I yeah. don't even remember how many hours later it was that I read an article that said the sign was going to be coming down. What was the timeline for that? What was the, what was the justification for tearing the sign down? So the sign went up on September 11th and it came down on September the 12th. On a Saturday, they brought in installers and paid them overtime to take it down. <laughs> The first bucket that the guy was in, because he had to get on a huge bucket to cover the thing up, uh, it broke. So then they brought in more installers as well. But the timeline is basically, you know, less than 24 hours. I tweeted it out at about 4 p.m. on the Friday, September 11th. Mm -hmm. And then a Vancouver City Councilor named Sarah Kirby Young said it was hate speech. And she got all angry on Twitter. And I'm sure she contacted Patterson as well, because the sales manager for Patterson contacted me and yeah, they just said they were taking it down. So the that's head what of they Patterson did. Signs, the head of Patterson, the guy who owns Patterson signs is a Christian and thus shouldn't be scared. Like shouldn't, shouldn't couch out like a sign yeah. coming down in 24 hours after you paid for it. It's kind of nuts me. Yeah. I don't know if Jimmy Patterson even knows about it. He's, in his 90s now so i'm sure he's not involved in the day-to-day -day operations but yeah of course it would be nice if he found out because i know he's a christian man and he's a philanthropist and i'm sure if he understood what was going on he wouldn't be happy about it yeah yeah so what has the response been to the other signs going up when you say Pussy parker correct me if i'm wrong is she not the same activist who put up the sign with just the dictionary definition of woman and that yes, also that's right then? okay yeah. same <laughs> i thought yeah. i recognized her name um, yeah. So with these signs going up in California, in D.C., uh, in Utah, um, did these signs last very long? 
or did they those, also get taken down? No, those ones lasted. Those okay. were those were uh, almost all digital billboards, so they share space with other ads. Um, you know, they flash for ten or fifteen seconds and then they rotate. But people tried to get them taken down, uh, especially in D.C. There was a pretty big effort by some people to get a bunch of those screens taken down throughout the metro. But it's freedom of speech, and I guess they're a little stronger with it in the United States than we are up here. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. So for the listeners who aren't really aware of the J.K. Rowling connection, in some ways it's really interesting because J.K. Rowling is not the sort of person you would expect to be viewed by anybody um, as a conservative, which she isn't. Uh, you wouldn't expect her to be on the opposite side of any manifestation of, of, of the of the LGBT agenda because she's traditionally been uh, she's well she was very supportive of the redefinition of marriage. Uh, she declared that one of her characters uh, in her books were gay. There was a lot of controversy surrounding her books even when they first came out. So she's been been considered a very progressive figure uh, and much loved for that specific fact. And so the fact that she's come out and stated this. Uh, and basically stated her opposition from an explicitly feminist point of view, I might point out, uh, to to the transgender agenda is hugely significant. And of course, she was too big to cancel, which is why basically, you know, all the attacks on her kind of petered out eventually. And, and those trying to cancel her wandered off looking for softer targets. Um, yeah. But why is she so significant that the, 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 the statement I heart J.K. Rowling kind of explain the context for us? Sure. So in December of 2019. A woman named Maya Forstater in the UK was fired from her job just because she has beliefs in biological sex, essentially, that sex is real. And so JK tweeted out, dress however you please, call yourself whatever you like, sleep with any consenting adult who will have you, live your best life in peace and security, but force women out of their jobs for stating that sex is real? I stand with Maya. And so that started off a huge storm. Somehow that message, which is pretty anodyne, is deemed to be super transphobic. And so she got you know millions of people attacking her. And then she went on to write a few more tweets in 2020. And she wrote a really good essay about some of her own personal experiences. Um, that, and you know, people can Google it and check it out. But she wrote about the medical harm coming to kids and all that sort of stuff. And uh, everything she's ever said has just been very reasonable with compassion for harm coming to people and for the erasure of women's rights. And in this society today, that's deemed as being transphobic, like trying to safeguard women and children is somehow transphobic in this society. So she was the biggest voice that sounded the alarm on this issue. So when you put up a billboard that says, I heart JK Rowling, anyone who's aware of this issue um, instantly gets you know, pretty emotional about it, I guess, on the negative side. They get mm-hmm. extremely hateful and aggressive. Um, and the other people are like, what's going on? What's this sign all about? So it just starts conversations and you can start to explain what's going on and they can read JK's essay and all that. So. I just found it was a good conversation starter for people. Yeah, but it also brings a lot of abuse. Yeah. 
the J.K. Rowling angle is just also it's kind of weird, not just for what I mentioned previously, which is that she's she is progressive on almost every single social issue. Yeah, and it's, it's weird uh, to some degree that she's become a lightning rod for this, but also the fact that a woman whose books have been phenomenally best selling, right? And then you could find in any chapters, any Cools bookstore, you walk in any bookstore and you're going to find her books fairly prominently displayed in the children's section. And so the closest bookstore to your billboard that went up uh, would have her books prominently displayed. And yet a sign that just says, I love J.K. Rowling is now considered to be you know, hateful just because she happens to disagree with activists promoting an ideology that's pretty brand new. Uh, historically yeah. speaking, right? The trans movement didn't even start to get traction until right around 2014 with the Time magazine uh, cover that said the transgender tipping point. So like, what do you make of that? I, I find it so strange. Or is there just this hypocrisy where they're happy to make money off her books, but they, they are also happy to attack anybody who promotes her for what they consider to be the wrong reasons, which is not making them money? Yes, totally. It's all about money for them. If you go into Chapters Indigo, which is our biggest bookstore throughout Canada, they won't carry one single book that is critical of gender ideology. They have all the other books that are in favor of it, which most of them are full of lies, but they won't carry any of the gender critical books at all. They still carry Harry Potter books and all that because it's a big moneymaker for them. And you can order some of the other books online, like Abigail Schreier's book called Irreversible Damage, the transgender mm -hmm. craze seducing our daughters. Yeah, she came on this podcast to talk about it. Okay, yeah. So chapters will sell that online, but they're too cowardly to carry it in their store. <laughs> All right, so that kind of explains the, the billboard campaign, which um, you sort of got shoved into fame for. Let's talk about your, your street activism for a bit, because you're a dad, yeah. you, have a, you have a job, and yet you're out there on the street, as you said, 50,000 cars, roughly commuters will see your images, not, not as many, of course, during, during lockdown or shutdown or whatever it is that we're calling it these days. Um, and, and you're having conversations. What have the conversations been like? Because my opinion on this has long been that the reason the trans activists are likely to win is because they're accomplishing virtually everything they need to, while the vast majority of Canadians and others really have no idea what they're what their entire agenda details like they most canadians were frankly apathetic uh, about the Amer about the marriage bay they just didn't care one way or another and most of these debates you find that to be true actually there's 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 one group on each side who care about this very intensely and they're a small minority uh while the vast majority of people just don't seem to care much but the difficulty is all of the stuff is being introduced into schools and introduced to kids while most canadians remain unaware of slash apathetic to what's unfolding so what are your conversations like on the street level i'd say nine out of ten conversations are positive the people that are really negative and abusive never want to talk they right. literally have nothing to say ever all they have are middle fingers and swear words and yelling but most people that don't know what's going on as soon as they hear that we're blocking puberty and healthy children who just last month you know came forward saying that they wanted to be the other gender and that these kids go to the children's hospitals, to the gender clinics, and they get these drugs, no questions asked. There's no looking into any comorbidities like depression, trauma, autism. There's no acknowledgement of the fact that a lot of these kids are going to grow up to be gay because like a recent study just came out of a few thousand boys 
and 60% of them, when they were allowed to go through puberty, their gender dysphoria, 88% of them, when they were allowed to go through puberty, their gender dysphoria went away. 60% of them turned out to be gay when they were adults. Right. So we're converting gay people that are going to grow up to be gay and we're transing away the gay and we're harming their bodies. So anyway, like you said, this is all in the schools now. So this is a totally new thing. It's only been in all of our school districts since 2016, 2017. We had a BCTF president named Glenn Hansman who wrote his master's thesis on queering schools. And it was his goal as BCTF president from 2016 to 2020 to get it into all 60 school districts. And he did by kicking and screaming because that's kind of their modus operandi. But this affects every parent, every single parent, because all of these kids are getting exposed to this ideology and it is an ideology. There's nothing scientific about it. It teaches that we all have a gendered soul or that some kids have a boy brain or a girl brain, which is pseudoscientific nonsense. And even in kindergarten, we have, um, there's a drill for kids to do in kindergarten where they go around the classroom with a little card saying, hi, my name's Sheila, please call me they. Or hi, my name's Tim, please call me she. Right. So there's a lesson plan where they can practice their pronouns when they're four or five years old. And this is affecting parents all over the country and they're getting blindsided by it. Because this isn't a case of crazy parents kind of forcing this on our kids like we see a lot on TV. These are parents just working hard, sending their kids off to public school. And then one day, their teenage daughter comes home, or their 12-year-old, or their 10-year-old, and she says that she's actually a boy. And they've been indoctrinated. They've been on social media, almost all of these kids, Tumblr, YouTube. Uh, they've had speakers come into their school. And when authority figures in your life are teaching you this stuff as fact, and you're just a child, of course you're going to believe it. Right. Yep. You know, these are the second biggest authority figures in their life after their parents. And when these kids reach teenage years, they just think their parents are out of the loop. They're dinosaurs. They're not progressive. And all this stuff they're learning in school is the truth. And so when parents try to push back against this at all, they're just met with a ton of resistance. And now they're losing their parental rights. In BC, under the Infants Act, um, as we've seen in CD's case, I guess we're not allowed to name him, but this, this father who's in jail right now in BC, he didn't want his 14-year-old to transition, but he wasn't allowed to stop it. And under the BC Infants Act, they deemed that a 14-year-old was a mature minor and could make these decisions for herself. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, those who follow this podcast regularly will know who you're talking about because um, we've talked about him before. Um a couple of other questions that I'm interested in, just because this, this I'm not unfamiliar to activism, but public activism on this issue um, is a subject that, that really interests me because it's it's such a it's such a fresh new issue in many ways, but it sort of colonized the culture so swiftly. So, in in your own social circle, your own family, what's your experience been like deciding to be one of the very few people in Canada to take a stance on this issue, like the, in in the fashion that you are? Um, my immediate family, of course, is super supportive. I, there's other people in extended family or other friends that I haven't heard from, and I'm sure they're confused by what I'm doing or 
I'm sure some are maybe against it, but that's okay because I know exactly what side of history I'm on. I've done all my research. I know what I'm saying is the truth. And I know eventually the truth will come out on this issue because you can only bury it for so long. Right. But um, it doesn't really matter to me what other people think at all because we're harming thousands of kids. And if we don't speak loudly and boldly to try to stop this, there's going to be thousands and tens of thousands more getting harmed. So we just need to make the population aware because we need to get as loud as these trans activists are when it comes to the government, because the government are just fearful of the transgender lobby. I don't say the LGBT community because this isn't the LGBT community, if that's even a community. This is the transgender lobby. Uh, LGB, they, once they're informed, they're very against this as well because this is primarily affecting kids that are gonna grow up to be gay. But, um, you know, politicians are kind of weak and cowardly and they take the least easiest, the path of least resistance. And right now it's going along with all of this nonsense. So eventually I believe sanity will get restored, but we have to fight hard for it. What I find most depressing about this issue is as your experience on the streets indicates, there are plenty of people who are still in opposition to it once they discover the facts. But that said, uh, most conservative politicians won't touch this issue with a 10 foot pole. And I could, I won't name them on this podcast because I know this is the result of private conversations, but there are many significant conservative politicians who are very, very against this stuff, believe that it's really, really dangerous, know that it's harming kids and still won't speak out, which to me is sort of the apex of cowardice when, when you place the value of your career over and above actual children being harmed, when there's a real opportunity right now to speak out while a majority of Canadians are still on side, right? If you wait to speak out until we all know how damaging this is because we've got these permanently mutilated men and women, uh, at that point, you're, you know, speaking out doesn't mean anything. Uh, and right now there's a real opportunity to actually prevent harm from being done rather than commenting on harm afterwards. But because our, our politicians seem so totally cowardly on this issue, what, what do you think is going to happen? What would your message to these politicians be? These politicians already know. That's the thing. They know exactly what's happening and they don't care. I've spoken to some conservative politicians outside the House of Commons, and I'm going back there at the end of this month. And I'm told that the vast majority of conservatives, when Bill C-6 comes to a third reading, I'm told that they're going to vote no, because what this bill is going to do is it's going to end up sending way more kids into these gender clinics, where the only option is what we call affirmation only, where the doctors just affirm and prescribe these drugs. It's going to make talk therapy virtually non-existent for children with gender dysphoria, because all it takes is for one crazy activist to come along to someone who has a practice where they treat gender dysphoric children. And if they just accuse them one time of trying to convert a child's gender identity, this practitioner will be in court defending their practice facing up to five years in prison. But anyway, to answer your question, these politicians know. Um, hopefully all the conservatives or the vast majority do vote against this bill. It shows they're finally getting some spine. I know that one of the MPs office brought in someone to speak to the entire conservative caucus about a month or two ago about all of these different issues. So they've all been briefed. And Bill C-6 itself 
when it goes to the justice committee, after second reading, there's a process where the bill gets reviewed by 12 different MPs that are on the justice committee. And ordinary public and organizations can submit briefs to them. And I don't know if it's a record, but hundreds, several hundred briefs were submitted on this issue. A lot of them telling the truth and the politicians couldn't even be bothered to read them all. So anyway, the Liberals don't care because it's all about identity politics to them. The NDP and Greens think this bill doesn't even go far enough. They're completely taken by this ideology. Here in BC, our NDP party led by John Horgan, they are currently going through every single regulation on the books, British Columbia regulations, and they're removing all references to mom, dad, cousin, brother, sister, because these are all gendered terms. Huh. Like this is just absolutely insane. And so how do we stop this? I guess eventually when we have thousands of detransitioners who, whose bodies have been mutilated, who are now sterilized, who can never have kids, and the lawsuit, lawsuits start flying, I guess eventually the court maybe put a stop to this. But as we've seen in the case in BC, a lot of these judges are, have taken leave of their senses as well, and they're totally supportive of this gender identity ideology. So hopefully we can put a stop to this before too many thousands of kids get hurt. But with the current government, uh, there's nothing positive about them. In other words, unless we see political change and courage both show up at the same time, there's not much of an opportunity to do anything beyond what you're doing, which is speaking to Canadians individually. Yeah, so I, I figure the government's not going to do anything. Well, I know they're not. So I just take it straight to parents. And parents talk to other parents. And I'll be doing things outside schools as well, handing out materials, handing out the actual lesson plans from the curriculum, which is called SOGI 123. And you know what? One person can make a pretty big difference when they get their mindset on something. And so other people are starting to join me. Uh, it is a bit scary out there. I got my arm broken in Montreal last month because I got attacked by five people. And, uh, you know, they're just trying to silence me with violence, but what was I'm the not going to stop. What was the context of the people who attacked you? Was this a protest? Was this outreach? What was going on? Uh, I went to Montreal just to do what I do, which is just have conversations with whoever wants to have them. And so I was standing on the busiest street in Montreal, which is called Rue St. Catherine or St. Catherine Street. It was 7 p.m. on a Friday. This was three and a half weeks ago. And I was just standing on the sidewalk talking to somebody and from the road and I think from my left, five people came at me. I'd never seen them before. And I didn't even have a second to react. They were on me, punching me in the face, punching me in the back of the head, ripping off my signs, stole my body cam. And so as I was retreating away, I pulled out my phone to film them so I could get their images for the police. And they kept trying to knock the phone out of my hand, but a man picked up a a large traffic cone, which I wasn't too worried about because it's just plastic, but this was a big one and the base is pretty thick and dense. And he kept swinging it at me like an ax and I kept blocking it with my left forearm. But one of those blows broke my ulna in my left forearm. So I got surgery on that on Friday, a few days ago. 
which is good because I don't need to cast anymore. My arm was kind of stuck at a 90 degree angle, but um, the context of it was I was simply having peaceful conversations and violent members of Antifa or just anarchist types, whatever you want to call them. Wow. They are not cool with peaceful conversations from people who have an opinion that is different than theirs. So they orchestrated a premeditated attack. Wow. Wow. Well, as a final question, uh, one, is there anything else you'd like to add? And then two, can, can people find, uh, where can people track down what you're doing? How can they connect with you? So I have a website now, billboardchris.com. I'm going to keep improving it. I'm going to get some studies up on there soon, but it's already, it's pretty good. It's got some of the lesson plans and it's got the, the reasons that children cannot consent to puberty blockers as listed by the high court. So it's, it's a good quick read to get familiar with all these issues. And then I do all my campaigning on Twitter and they'll find my Twitter feed on my website as well. But that's where I kind of do all my updates and everything. So that's probably the best place to follow me, but they can check it out on my website too. And as a final message, I just think we all need to do what we can. A lot of people can't speak out because they'll get fired from their jobs, which is insane, but that's the state of the world today. But we can all do something. If you can't do great things, you do small things in a great way. And if that just means having conversations with people, getting educated about this and having conversations, that's how we get this message all across Canada, is people taking personal responsibility to spread the news of what's going on. Because eventually, if millions of Canadians get outraged by this, government has to start to listen, or else they'll get voted out. And that's always their biggest fear, getting voted out. So. Right. Right. That would be my message to people. Just have conversations. Well, Chris, thank you for your time uh, to chat about all this. And thank you for everything that you've been doing. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Jonathan. I really appreciate it.